Good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter one. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, First Timothy chapter one. And I need to pray before we get started. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us by your word. We pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive everything you have for us. Um, Paul shares his heart with this young pastor, Timothy. And uh, Lord, we know we're all called into the ministry in some way, shape, or form, but um, there's some specific instructions for us. There's some things that are required. There's some things that are expected. And um, we want those. We want to know what those are. We want to know... um, Maybe even some confirmation on some things in our lives or or whatever. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would use his sword and speak to our hearts specifically tonight. And there is that maybe we've asked you questions about. We've made our petitions known to you. We've laid it out before you. We've left it at your throne like we're supposed to, but we're waiting on an answer. And um, we pray that you'd teach us like you always do when we open your word, but that you'd also give us some direction and uh, encouragement, and even rebuke if we need it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the first of three letters that Paul writes to a couple pastors, young pastors. This first one's to Timothy, um, and the next one will be to Timothy, and the third one will be to Titus. These are all young guys in the ministry and uh, um, need some advice and need some encouragement to continue on and to stir up gifts and so on, and we'll get into that, but um, a little background on these guys. Timothy is uh, someone who Paul took um, on his missionary trips. And he set up some um, churches. Um, Timothy, uh, his, her, his mother um, and grandmother were they're Jewish, and um, his dad was Greek. This was a problem later on as Paul took him on the ministry, and they knew that because his dad was Greek, that he probably wasn't circumcised, and so Paul had Timothy circumcised, not because he was supposed to or had to, but because it was a hindrance to the gospel. Um, We know later on that Silas, who's not a a Jew, um, wasn't required to do that. He said no. Um, He didn't didn't need to compel him to do that because he was was not Jewish. And so, not to bring that up, or that wasn't a a vital part, but that's who Timothy is. Timothy was the guy that would come alongside Paul um, and serve him and be a blessing to him no matter what. I mean, there'd be a lot of guys that might walk away from that ministry if you came into work on Monday and the pastor said, hey, by the way, you know, we need to accomplish something here today before we can go any further with the ministry. Timothy wasn't that guy. Timothy was the guy that says, whatever it takes, I want to minister. I want to minister. And I can't imagine working for Paul or being alongside him in the ministry. He'd be a tough, a tough guy to be with, I think. Um, it's tough to follow someone who just has this reckless abandonment um, for the gospel, but also for his own life. And Paul did, but Timothy was right there and is faithful to the end. So that's who we're, we're talking about tonight, Timothy. Uh, the letter is to him. He's got some issues, he's got some problems and things, but uh, Paul hasn't given up on him. He just writes him this simple letter. This is written around 62 AD. Timothy is in Ephesus. If you remember Ephesus in the book of Acts, that's when they would cry out, Great is the goddess Diana. Um, uh, they had gotten all stirred up because Paul had come in preaching the gospel and people were not buying silver Dianas anymore. And they got upset. The merchants got upset. Their money wasn't being made. And so they got the whole crowd stirred up and um, they got Paul in trouble, basically. And, um, but this is that church. So Timothy is there and he's supposed to be doing some work there. God, Paul has left him behind to set up the church authority. 
to set up the officers in the church. And there is a structure in the New Testament church just like this. This is what you're supposed to do. And so Timothy is there to identify who they are and train them up to be those leaders in the church because then he was going to move on and they're going to be the ones um, with the responsibility. And so Paul is writing to Timothy with that background. It begins with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This isn't Paul's normal um, greeting. Um, He says he's an apostle um, by the commandment of God. Um, Usually he says, I'm called, you know, or I've been given it by the will of God. And that's normal, and that's okay. But uh, he wants to make it a little bit stronger here and says, it's by the commandment of God. In other words, I, I can't do anything else but this. This isn't a vocation that you choose. This is something you're called to for sure, but it isn't something you can wish away or just not answer that call. This is something that God's commanded Paul to do. You must be an apostle for me. And so he's got to do it. He's compelled by God to do it. Um, it's not an option. It's not a, this is the best will for you, but you have other wills you know, that you can do. I've got to do this. And so he lets him know that before he tells him what he needs to tell him. And maybe some of you have that call in your life. It isn't optional. It's something you're commanded to do by God. There are things in the New Testament that every Christian's commanded to do. We're called to do those things and commanded at the same time. They're not optional. Um, but this is specific. To be an apostle is to be one who's sent by Jesus Christ to be sent, is what it means. And I'm commanded to do that. And he also calls God our Savior. You don't hear that very often. You hear God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But For us to have a clear understanding of who God is, we need to remember He's our Savior. It was His idea to send Jesus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. It was God's plan to save us. He's not looking to lay the hammer down on us or to send us to hell. He's not looking for excuses to get rid of us. uh, It's His idea to save us. God is our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. We rest in that, that God's plan through Jesus Christ, that's our hope for salvation. So He lays all that out for Timothy. He calls Timothy in chapter or verse 2 a, a true son in the faith. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, he says he was the father um, to that church. Now, he doesn't mean capital F, Father. He's not saying that you need to call me Father. He's saying I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one that started this church. I'm the one that shouldn't have to give my credentials to you. Um, you should know that. I'm the one that led you to Jesus. Well, Timothy's a true son in the faith. He's someone that he had probably, that Paul had led to the faith and believed on Jesus through Paul's teachings. And Timothy, like a true son, is stuck with Paul in his dust. You know, you learn best in the dust of the feet of your rabbi. Not far away, not in the distant, but in in the dust of the feet of your rabbi. You stay as close as possible. And Timothy's one of those sons. Um, It's like blood. Paul may have got left, you know, may have said something wrong to him, or may have gotten angry at one point, but Paul, Timothy doesn't leave Paul because of those minor things. He's a family. Um, he stays with him. He's a true son in the faith. He's been growing and learning under Paul's teaching. So that's who he's writing to. Grace, mercy, and peace. He adds mercy to this. Normally it's grace and peace. Every epistle says grace and peace. But for the pastors, he says you need mercy. Because it isn't easy. And uh, you make mistakes. And although you have punishment coming because you've made those mistakes, God gives mercy. And that's good to know. Paul later on is going to say he counted me worthy 
to put me in the ministry, putting me in the ministry, counting me faithful to put me in the ministry. And um, God knows that. He's asked you to do something beyond your capability. And so there's mercy for those errors. Um, But there's also grace and peace. And he wishes that upon Timothy in such a way that he prays for them. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope that's with you, Timothy, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. But he gets right into it. Verse 3, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. First thing he tells them right away is you need to tell people with authority to stop teaching false doctrine. In Ephesus there, in that church, stop it. You don't get to go along with it or hope the truth outweighs the, the lie. You've got, to, you've got to do the hard thing, and that's a hard thing if you're timid. That's why he tells Timothy he hasn't been given a spirit of fear, but one of power. You have to stand up and for the truth, and that's not always comfortable. It's not always a nice place to be. Stop them from teaching. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine and no other fables or endless genealogies. The little things that come up that people like to dispute about. The small things that people like to argue about and can cause division. He says that he wants you to squash that. Ministry is funny that way. You, you want people to come along in the Lord and so you teach them God's word and you hope that they're hearing and, and, and you hope that maybe give them some time and some grace and they're going to understand that maybe they shouldn't be doing that or this or the other thing. But you've got to walk in the Spirit because eventually it comes down where God's going to speak to you and say, look, they've had enough time to get it. You've got to tell them the truth you know, or, or tell them face to face. It's not coming from the pulpit anymore. It's not coming from the whatever this is. You know, it's coming, it's going to be right to your face. You've got to tell you, hey, this has got to stop. It's got to end now. Um, we hoped you'd you get it, but you haven't. Um, Timothy, you've got to do that. You've got to charge some that they teach no other doctrine because letting that false doctrine go on is causing people to lose their faith. It's causing people to stumble. Um, we're pretty strong on that here. You know, you want to do a Bible study, you want to do something here, it needs to, first of all, we need to know who you are. Um, We've got to pray about it, make sure that God wants it. Is that the next step for this ministry? You may be called to that ministry, but it may not be here. It may be someplace else. You need to do it on your own or whatever, but we've got to pray about it. Is it something that God wants to do? And you have to be dead on accurate with the same doctrine that we teach here. There's no room. You don't get to teach pre-tribulation rapture here and in the other classroom teach post-tribulation rapture. That's not going to happen. You're going to get the exact same teaching in any Bible study you go to at this church. Um, It needs to be like that. And we need to know that that's the way it's going to be. And so it's not happening here in Ephesus. He's, Paul's already heard about it. There's other, oh, we're teaching this over here. It's just a smorgasbord of doctrine here at the church. And no, absolutely not. And that needs to stop. Um, and don't get into that fables and endless genealogies. You know, fables, um, stories, uh, even scenarios or, you know, what ifs kind of thing. And, and you get those sometimes. So, so you know, there were seven brothers and the first one gets married, and he dies and leaves his wife, and the next brother marries her. And, they, you know, those are the fables we're talking about. And what a waste of time. They're time wasters. Timothy, don't let that stuff go on because it causes disputes. 
You've got half the church over here that thinks God can make a rock so big that he himself can't lift it, and the other half over here that doesn't think he can do it. And they argue about that stuff. He says, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. Watch out for that. Stop that. Um, end that. Um, people have dishonest questions sometimes. Sometimes there's honest questions, and those are the ones you want to answer as a pastor, as a minister, or even it doesn't matter where you are, but watch out for those folks that are trying to bait you into arguments to get into this that just causes disputes rather than godly edification. Be careful of that. Um, They'll send you an email, experience, and I save every one of them. I've got a file for them. I save every one of them because I go over them every now and then to think, am I a creep or was, were they? And uh, they'll start off with a question, but you get this sense they really don't want the answer. They have the answer. They just want you to say your answer so they can teach you, so they can teach you the right answer kind of thing. And uh, I've gone through those, and... Sure enough, you give them any room, give them the answer, and here it comes. Here comes the email. You know, it's not the quick question. Hey, Pastor, I got a quick question for you. I was wondering about this. I don't think you are, but okay, I'll give you the passage that we teach in our doctrine that we teach here at Calvary Chapel, and we give it to them, and then here it comes. But what about this? And it's like they'd already had it typed up and ready to go. And it's like, it looks like you got a good handle on it. Bye. Well, that's not what they want. It looks like you've got your own opinions on that as the Lord leads. That's not what they want. They wanted to become your teacher. They wanted to become your advisor. I've got teachers. I've got teachers that are men of God that have been faithful, and those are my teachers. And You have the right to not accept teachings from people. I know that you know that, but sometimes you don't think, you, you, well, I need to answer them. I need to give them a a reason for the hope which lies within me. I'm supposed to be ready to give an answer to all men. Not necessarily. Some people are just time wasters. Some people don't want that answer. Some people want to have endless disputes with you. And it's okay to say, I, I don't think I can help you. It sounds like you've got it all worked out in your own mind. And so Paul's giving Timothy permission to tell him to knock it off because it causes disputes rather than godly edification. Now, there are honest questions out there where people sincerely say, I don't know the answer, but I think you know the answer, so I'm coming to you with this question. Would you give me the answer? Absolutely, all day long. And I'll give you as much scripture and as much time as you need. But for the folks that are just waiting for the argument or to bait you, I don't think you need me. I definitely don't need you. Verse 5. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Look what he says about the law here. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. That's a really important part because not everybody that teaches the law is teaching the law lawfully. They don't understand it. The law was given not to make men righteous. The law was given to show men guilty. You can teach the law all day long, provided you're teaching it lawfully, which is for one reason and one reason only, to show that we're all guilty and need Jesus Christ. Now, you can teach the law in such a way, and we need to be careful about that in our Sunday schools and everywhere, that it's not, here are the Ten Commandments, make sure you're doing them this week. That's not teaching the law lawfully. That's teaching the law unlawfully. Now, you wouldn't think that, would you? 
Because we've all grown up that way. Here's the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Make sure you don't this week. That's teaching the law unlawfully. The law was meant to bring all under guilt, to show our need for a Savior. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be better people. Don't misunderstand me, but you don't teach the law for that purpose. The law is taught to bring people to Christ, to Jesus. And so Paul, knowing that that is the false doctrine or the other doctrines that they're bringing in, they're straying away. They were solid, but they've strayed away. That they're into idle talk and other teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And that's the most dangerous teacher you can have is someone who thinks they understand what needs to be taught, and they don't. They're not led of the Spirit. They're not filled with the Spirit. They're not grounded in grace. They don't know their own depravity. They don't know that they're not doing better, that they still need Christ as much as they needed Him the first time they got saved. They begin to become better people because they've been really strict in their lives and they've got their regiment down and their discipline now and they come across and they begin to teach people that way and they're not teaching the law lawfully. And kids know it. I point at the kids because that is an area we have to be really careful because the kids cannot grow up unless they're immersed in grace and love. They will never understand Jesus Christ properly. They'll never understand why he came. They'll never understand the gospel, the good news, unless the law is taught properly, lawfully. He goes on to describe the people. He says, if they want to teach the law, watch how he does this. They've strayed, these idle talkers, these disputers, these folks stuck on genealogies and fables, the ones teaching other doctrines, They're trying to teach the law. They understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate and the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, And if there is any other thing which is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. If you don't understand why Paul's writing that, he's saying if you want to be a teacher of the law and you want to teach it unlawfully, you understand who it's for. It's for you, and here's who you are, and he gave them a list of who they are. That would be completely offensive to them. Because they don't think they're that. I'm not a manslayer. I'm not a fornicator or a sodomite. I'm teaching the law to stop all of that. He's saying, no, no, no. You're that. That's who you are. And it's supposed to offend them to stop them saying, well, it, it is hard to teach that today. For me, even, I've been doing it for years, but it's hard for me to get it across to people because you get, you get these deer in the headlights. People look at you and saying, is he telling us that the Ten Commandments are... Is he getting rid of the law like Jesus said people would do in the last days? No, 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 no. And so I try to find the words because Paul's saying it, but to say it in any other way, you understand he's trying to knock them down a peg or two, the law teachers, by calling them, then you're a manslayer, then you're a fornicator, because they don't think that they are. He's trying to bring them to guilt because they haven't come there yet. They're still using the law by means of getting to God and becoming more righteous before God's eyes. And it can't be used that way. That's an unlawful way to teach the law. It's not being taught properly. When we talk about the law, Paul is very clear on it. 
that which is passing away and will pass away. He's talking about the law. Because when you come to Christ, you are righteous. So when he says this, understand Paul's mind on this. Anybody that's a believer in Jesus Christ is righteous before God. Now let's read it again, knowing that. Um, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous. The law is not made for those who are in Christ Jesus because they're righteous. The law has passed away. It's no longer needed. We've come to Christ. The tutor doesn't need to teach us to come to Christ. We're there already. That's why when the church in Acts tells them, look, these Gentiles are getting saved. What should we tell them? Well, don't teach them the law. Teach them to abstain from things offered up to idols, sexual morality. You know, tell them to stay clear of the things that they've grown up with as being okay. Tell them that that's not okay anymore. And Paul does that in all of his epistles. But notice he doesn't say, now teach them the Ten Commandments. Make sure they know those. They've got to know some of the basics here. The Gentiles, honestly, in the New Testament, they were never taught the Ten Commandments. They didn't need to know that. I'm being careful here. There's nothing wrong with not committing adultery. There's nothing wrong with not murdering. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying now we can go ahead and do all these things. Those things are now built in. The believer in Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, knows those things are wrong. They don't have to be taught anymore because we've come to Christ. He now dwells in us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Him and for His Word and, and everything. So you have to be careful that you don't fall into this because it's, so, it's, it's such a quick jump or a slippery slope to go from born-again believer to nasty Pharisee. It's a quick trip. It doesn't take long to get there. And you can walk into any Sunday school classroom and you can tell right away what's happened or where these teachers stand. I'm not saying ours necessarily. I think they're all fine. I'm not in their classrooms. I, I, I hope they're doing fine. I check the kids. I check the kids when they come out of, if they come out of class worried, concerned, fearful, frowning, upset. Uh, we got something wrong. We're not doing something right. Because the gospel, by definition, is good news. And when heard and taught properly, it's glorious. It's freeing. It's amazing. It's as if the weight's been lifted. The kids should be floating on cloud nine when they come out of class. It should be amazing to them. When they come out heavy, laden down, burdened, mm, we did something wrong. We did something wrong somewhere. You've got to be careful about that. Now, I, I, I grew up in, in a church where that was what it was. So I know the feeling that kids walk out of, and I hate church. I hated that church, and I honestly hate that church still because they haven't changed. They still do the same thing. Hate it. Um, nobody but Pharisees came to Christ and hated him. That's the Pharisees. They, they hated Christ because they loved the law. Uh, everybody loved Jesus and couldn't get enough of him because he relieved them of their burden of sin. He set them free. The setting free of sin in a person's life is relieving them of the sentence that's hanging, and they know have been hanging over their heads. It's good news to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, I did my best. 
I don't want to spend the rest of the night there, but Paul is very serious with Timothy. Stop them from teaching this talk that's not sound doctrine. Stop them from their idle talk. They're straying away from the grace of God. This is to bring everybody back. They're teaching the law, but they're not teaching it lawfully. Bring them back to this because the law is not made for the righteous and you are, is the idea. It's for those that haven't come to Christ yet. It's for those that are outside of Christ. They need to know, and that's what he's concerned with here. Abraham accounted God, or accounted, Abraham was accounted righteous because of his faith in God, and that was before the law. Abraham was good without the law. How could, how could Abraham have a relationship with God without knowing the Ten Commandments? And he did. Do we understand that? Um, uh, Abraham had, and everybody before Moses had a relationship with God. All those believers that died, Adam, um, Abel, um, probably not Cain, but, you know, all those people um, had a relationship with God and, and, and are in heaven now because they trusted in God and they had faith in God. That was before the Ten Commandments. It was before the law. The law is very specific and was brought about in a very, for a very a simple task. It was to bring people to the knowledge that they needed Jesus or they needed a Savior at the time when the law. You've got to have a Savior. You can't. The law was to go, oh. There was no, okay, good to know. Better make notes for tomorrow because Tuesday's coming and I better be ready for it. That's not what the law was for. The law was to bring people to the place of hopelessness. You're kidding me. And they had gotten to a place of teaching the law in such an unlawful way that Jesus had to magnify it. That's why he did what he did in the New Testament. No, no, no. I know the law tells you not, not to murder, but I'm telling you if you hated someone without a cause, then you're guilty of murder. I know, I know what it says about committing adultery, but I'm saying if you've even thought of a woman in a lustful way, then you're guilty of adultery. What Jesus was trying to do was not to make them all work on it better, for Tuesday, well, you guys didn't get it quite enough, so here it's a little more serious than you think. No, he was trying to break them to that place of hopelessness. I have no hope in myself. I have no ability in myself to save myself. There's nothing I could do. Tuesday, I can't. This is impossible. Good. Now that I've got you where I want you, that it's impossible for men to be saved, it's impossible, now I can bring you to Christ, and he'll make you righteous. He'll impute his righteousness to you. And the law is no longer needed. That's what Paul's trying to get across to Timothy. Stop them. Verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. Paul honestly thought he was doing God's service by putting Christians in prison, by killing them, by doing these things. He honestly thought he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't. He was a blasphemer because he didn't understand, and that is Paul's problem. That's his fault. His fault was he knew it all. He had reached the top of everybody around him. Nobody was smarter than he was. Nobody knew the law better than he did. Nobody kept the law better than he did. And so he had reached the top. And so there was nothing for, more for him to learn because he learned from men. 
And in that ignorance of God and his plan, he began to persecute the very one whom he should have been learning about his entire life, the need for a savior. He had studied the law unlawfully. He had learned the law unlawfully and he kept it better than anybody. And it wasn't until Christ knocked him down and blinded him that he realized he'd been doing it wrong. He had misunderstood the point of the law. Paul learned the law, part of the Sanhedrin, at the top of his class, summa cum laude, you know. He was, at the, he was the best of the best. And he still didn't learn what he was supposed to learn about the law. The law was to bring Paul to his knees. And the one law that did bring him to his knees was covetousness. Well, how do I stop that? See, that was the one law that Jesus didn't magnify. He magnified the others. He had to get into our minds. He had to get into our hearts. Murder, that's something you do outward. There's blood, there's a body, you did it, there's a weapon. Okay, guilty. Uh, all these things. You know, uh, adultery, that's obvious. <laughs> you, know, you know you did it or you didn't do it. There's no two ways about it. Covetousness, though, was the one that from the very beginning had always been something in the mind and in the heart, and that's what broke Paul. Now, when Jesus came and expounded on all these things, he made all the laws like covetousness all in our heart, all in our mind. And that should have and did bring everybody to that place of helplessness, hopelessness. But as he found himself in that place, God gave him mercy. And that's what Paul appreciated the most about the knowledge of the gospel. I've got mercy. I'm not getting what I deserved. We, Grace is great. Grace is not is getting something you, do, you don't deserve. That's unmerited favor with God. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And Paul knew that, and he appreciated that. I deserve to be in hell. Paul understood that if I was to die today, I would not fault God for putting me in hell. He understood himself. The law had brought him to that place. Christ had brought him to that place. He understood that. I, I received mercy. And I thank, thank him that he enabled me and counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, commanding him into the ministry, you know? Because none of us are equipped for it. Nobody's prepared for ministry. None of us, it doesn't matter how many seminaries you go to, it doesn't matter how many degrees you go to or get, advanced degrees, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Your equipping, your enabling comes from God and everything. I remember when I thought maybe God was going to put me in the ministry any day now. You know, that was three years before he put me in the ministry. Any day now. You know. So I got a, a big giant Bible with a bunch of stuff in it, you know, and extra stuff and strong concordance. And, I mean, it was thick, big thing. And I started studying. I started equipping myself for the ministry, you know. And there's nothing wrong with studying to show yourself approved, but I was doing way more than that. I was, I was you know, reading everybody's books on how to counsel. I was... I was, uh, some of you are like, you better reread those. Um, I, was, I was doing all these things, and, uh, and, 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 and then I got handed the keys to the ministry. I mean, literally, it's like reading the DOT handbook for driving versus getting behind the wheel of a car and going to Kansas City. That's the difference. Because I had memorized everything I was supposed to memorize, and I had studied everything I was supposed to study, and I knew all the signs, and I knew which, what they meant, and even if mud was over them, I could tell you that that was, you know, by the shape and the ministry. And then God handed me the 
car keys to this ministry or a ministry, and I realized, I mean, I was putzing down the highway, just barely making it, going, oh, man. God enables you. God equips you for the ministry that he puts you in, and you trusted him completely for it, and you realize you need to pray all the way through it, all the time. It never, ever stops. You never know it. It's always different. Um, when I have a counseling session with somebody uh, or they schedule one with me, you know, I'd like to meet with you. Oh, boy. No offense, but when you ask me that, that's what I say. Oh, man. What's it about? You know, why don't we do it over the phone first and then I can read up on everything I'm supposed to read up on because I don't know what I'm going to tell you. Don't, because I'm supposed to, because here's what you guys think. I'm going to sit down. They're going to say, here's our problem. Do you have a fix for it? No. Read your Bible more. Trust in Jesus. Stuff you already know, you know. But you call me up for a counseling session and I begin to sweat. Because I'm like, they're going to want to know something and I don't think I know. And I, Give me a heads up. Is it about your marriage? Okay. Give me a direction, you know. Well, I'll tell you when I get there. Oh, man. And so what do I do? Boy, I pray. You put me here, God. You know I don't know anything. You know I never have. They're going to ask me questions, and I don't know the answers. And so while you're talking to me in these counseling sessions, I'm listening a little bit, but I'm praying louder than I can hear you. God, give me wisdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm I'm mumbling all that stuff in my head. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know what situation this is. I don't know who's wrong. I don't know who's right. I don't know if they're telling me all the truth. I don't know if they're telling me what they want me to hear or what's true. I don't know any of that stuff. Because honestly, you folks don't tell me everything. You don't. You tell me your side and you make yourself out to look really great. And you're not. And I've got to figure out a way to tell you, well, that's good, but you're not that, you know, how do you do that? It's hard. And so these are the verses. This is beside our bed, Jenny and I's bed. Jenny got it at a women's retreat. And it says this. It was a little... Picture frame, you know, you know how ladies do it, they do it right. We'd hand out a piece of paper with some, you know, one line at the top as a guy's man. This is beautiful and it's got a nice flowery thing and it's beautiful and it's parchment paper and all that. And it says this verse, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so we kind of use that as a blame God ministry. <laughs> you put me in the ministry. If you want me to do any better than this, you're going to have to do it because we trust that verse. You enabled me. Because although I was, and Paul remembers who he was, he's writing to pastors on how to be pastors. He should know this stuff, but he says, no, I know exactly who I am. God put me in this ministry. He commanded me to be an apostle. And so, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord Jesus, or our Lord, was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know how Paul started, right? I say this every time we come into one of these three verses. The first verse is, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he says, I'm the least of the saints. And then he ends with this verse here, I'm the chief of sinners. And that's at the end of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, he's the least of the apostles. At the end of his ministry, he's the chief of sinners. That's what happens when you're in the ministry. You realize how unqualified, how inept you are. 
without God. And so Paul puts that in there as he's teaching Timothy. This is where I'm at, Timothy. I don't know where you're at, but get here. This is a faithful saying. However, even though I'm all that, even though I told you all that, however, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul admits it. I know why God called me so that you all feel better about yourselves. If God can save that guy, he can easily handle my problems. Paul knows that. He puts that on his resume. I mean, you can imagine this guy's business card. Hi, you know, <laughs> can you imagine that? I've come for counsel. I just wanted to show you my card. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm an insolent man. I'm a blasphemer. I'm a, I don't need counseling anymore. I just need the guy you know, you know. How, how do you feel so good about yourself? Because Jesus, thank you, that's all I needed because I don't need to hear from you. I need to hear from the one who, you know. And so you go to the great counselor. And that's really all counseling is. Everybody knows already what's right and what's wrong. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you know what's right and wrong. You know whether you're a creep or not. God's already been convicting you. You may try to get some reassurance from somebody that you're not. But counseling is basically saying, yeah, we're all in this together. We're all about, we're bums. And so we go to the chief counselor. We go to Jesus, who knows that about us. But despite knowing all of that about us, he still enables me. He counts me faithful. He puts me in the ministry. He gives me grace. He gives me mercy. He gives me faith. He gives me love. He gives me all these things. Now, some would say Paul has low self-esteem. Oh, and Paul, you know, you're not that bad. I mean, you did write a lot of the New Testament, after all. You know, you're not that bad. Don't try to build me up, Paul would say. I know who I am. And that's what makes me a great pastor. That's what makes me a great man of God, is I know exactly who I am in Christ Jesus. And I know exactly who he is in Christ Jesus, or who he is, <laughs> Christ Jesus, the Savior. I know that. Paul's low self-esteem causes Christ to be esteemed greatly. You see, I've got to decrease that he might increase. John warned us that that's what had to happen. I don't need to increase so that I can minister to others. I need to minister to myself first so that I can minister to others later. That's the world. That's the world. No, being the chief of sinners now qualifies Paul to tell pastors how to be pastors. He knows that about himself. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All that he just said there causes Paul to break away from context and just begins to worship God. As he describes what Jesus has done, he enabled me. He counted me faithful putting me in this ministry. I was this, that, and the other thing. But he's given me grace and mercy, love and faith. Oh, it's so great to be, although the chief of sinners, being used by God to be a pattern to other people to get saved, that they can look at my life. God is, and he begins to worship God right there in the writing. That's when you know you're where you're supposed to be. See, the guys that Paul is writing about don't do this in the church would never say this about themselves. They would never come to the conclusion that God is using them because we're the worst guys around and other people might feel better about their sin and that God can save them. They'd never say that about themselves. That's why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus. 
He kept calling them vipers and snakes, and their father was Satan. And they didn't know what they were talking about. And they, he challenged them on, have you ever read the law? That's all we do. They hated that about Christ. That's why they wanted to kill him. Everybody loved him, though, that understood that, that understood what he was trying to say to them. Everybody loved him. That's why, I mean, he would sit on the side of a hill, clear outside of town, and thousands of people would come. He'd go to the other side of the, the lake on a boat, and they'd all get around, and it's not a lake, it's a Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's pretty big. All the way around, you know. Some people nowadays wouldn't drive 10 minutes to church. It's all the way over there, you know. I remember that uh, pastor of the Epistle, or the Episcopalian church here in town in my early days when I was still talking to those guys would say, I don't know how you get people to come clear out there. I can't even get them to come, come across the parking lot. Like, I don't know, man. It sounds like you're bitter towards your people, first of all. <laughs> That's not good. Might want to fix that. I didn't tell them that. I said, yeah, bummer. Get some salt or something. I don't know, put some, get the ice out of there. Practical, you know, practical advice. I didn't, spiritually, first of all, you get homosexuality out of your church and stop accepting it as normal. And I didn't go into all that with him. Um, Paul knows who he is. And if you know who you are in Jesus, and you know why Christ is in your life, you can minister. When you don't know that anymore, and you find yourself tipping over to the law, um, feeling righteous because you've had your quiet time for 60 days in a row now, and so now it's everybody else's responsibility to have the same kind of quiet times you've been having. Uh, you're missing it. You're missing it. He worships when he realizes what Christ has done. When Christ is magnified in Paul's life and Paul is diminished, Paul worships. That's where worship comes from. You can't worship God if you don't know how high up he is. You know, you, there's no worship. There's sing along. Um, there's verse memorization, but to get to this place, verse 17, in your heart, um, that comes from understanding the distance and what he's made up in your life. Verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Interesting. Our last section here is Paul saying, you need to be doing what was prophesied over you. They laid hands on Timothy, and when they laid hands on him, somebody had the gift of prophecy and prophesied over Timothy, and you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to be, we don't know what was said exactly, but Timothy is obviously doing what Paul when he laid hands on him, the prophecy was given. Timothy's doing it. So we're assuming that he's a pastor and that he's, he's meant to be training up leadership and all this stuff. He says, I commit you, I charge you, commit you, son of Timothy, according to the prophecies, um, that you may wage a good warfare. Wage war. Well, war's not good. We're not supposed to wage war in church. It's not what Paul's teaching. teaching teach, he's teaching Timothy, wage some war. Don't give up. It's a battle. He's going to tell Timothy he needs to have a spirit of 
well, he has been given a spirit of, of, of power, not one of fear. Don't be timid, Timothy. I want you to do this. Wage war. Um, and it's not because you want to win or because you want to be bloodied at church, but because you want people set free, because you want people to understand the grace and the mercy. You can't let the law be taught unlawfully because you're going to kill your sheep. That kills them. It's, it, it freezes evangelism. It stops grace. It stops joy. It, when they're teaching that stuff unlawfully, when they're idly talking, when they're straying from where they're supposed to be, when they're, um, it ruins it. And he knows that. And so he's telling you, wage good warfare. Be skilled. Understand it. Be filled with the Spirit. Let God bring to your remembrance scriptures. Let Him be your helper when you're trying to minister. Wage war. Some of you are in jobs or in positions or in school or wherever. Um, you have not been given a spirit of fear. Don't be timid. Have power. You've been given a spirit of power. Wage war there. Don't give in to the joke. Don't give in to the norm. Speak up, you know. Um, stand up. It's okay. Having faith in a good conscience, which some having rejected, what have they rejected? All of this. The calling of God on their life. Uh, they stopped waging good warfare. Um, they've stopped trusting in God. They don't have a good conscience anymore. They've rejected that. And concerning the faith, they've suffered shipwreck. They're not doing well. And then he names them by name. You know? Some people get uncomfortable when I begin to name the denominations that are in error. Like even tonight, oh, he shouldn't have said Episcopalians. It's not very loving. We want them to come and to know the Lord. Look, their doctrine's flat out wrong. I don't care if they love Jesus Christ or not. They're teaching error. So are the Catholics. I could go on. Mormons, wrong. Jehovah's Witness, wrong. That's wrong. And they're suffering shipwreck. They don't realize it. And even some of the Protestant churches that have rejected the Holy Spirit, they've rejected the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They've No, we've got the Bible, we've got God's Word, and that's all we're going to use. We don't need the Holy Spirit. And they, they're drying up. They don't realize it. And so Paul names these guys. That's not very loving. It's exactly what needs to be said. Timothy, don't be like Hymenaeus. Timothy, don't be like Alexander. He's going to call them out on more than that later on. These guys have spiritually suffered shipwreck. And so Paul names them by name. And you know what? He didn't chase after Hymenaeus, and he didn't chase after Alexander. They want to do that? It's their choice. Um... Jesus is, in a way, doctrinally, let's put it doctrinally, but I was going to say Jesus is stationary. No, but he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Of course he does. Of course he does. He goes after the one who knows they need help. He goes after the one who's bleeding and crying out. He goes after the one who's lost and wants to be brought into the fold. He does that. But for the most part, Jesus is stationary doctrinally. He doesn't move. He's like the father and the prodigal son. This is righteousness. This is where I stand. This is good. If you want to leave that, leave that. But I'm not following after you. I don't go along with that. That's where you're going. 
but I'm here. And when you want to return, you can return right back here to sound doctrine. Be stationary. We all need that. That's the point of this letter to Timothy. That's why he tells us earlier on in this first chapter, some have strayed. Some are moving away from sound doctrine. Some are moving away from the right teachings. Let them stray. That's their problem. You, Timothy, need to stay here and bring everybody back. If they won't come back, that's up to them. But they'll be like Hymenaeus and they'll be like Alexander who have strayed so far that they've suffered shipwreck spiritually. And as sad as that is, and as heartbreaking that is, Alexander is the guy, when they cried out, greatest Diana, remember that? And they had this big uproar. They go into this big Colosseum, holds 20,000 people. They're all screaming. It's a big, huge riot going on. Nobody knows why they're there, Paul tells us or Luke tells us in the book of Acts. Nobody knows why they're there, but they're all screaming and yelling. They bring Alexander into the middle of it and ask him, what's going on? I mean, so he is a believer. He is someone who is alongside in the ministry, but all of a sudden, he's not anymore. Because he didn't watch himself. He didn't keep himself in grace and in mercy and understanding who he was and who God is. He doesn't have that same heart. And spiritually, he suffered shipwreck. Maybe you know people like that in your life that have suffered spiritual shipwreck. You wonder where they are. You want them back. And you try to get them back. And you're praying for them. And that's good. And you should do all of that. When given the opportunity by the Holy Spirit, tell them all you can tell them. Share with them all you can share with them. But some people are Hymenaeus and some people are Alexanders and they need to get straight. On their own sometimes. It's okay. Timothy, don't you be like that. Paul has suffered a lot of heartache, and not necessarily from Hymenaeus and Alexander, but he's going to see a lot of guys. Later on, he's going to say, I have no one to send you, no one who will earnestly care for the sheep, except for Timothy. That's towards the end of his ministry. He's only got one guy that he can honestly send over there to minister to you faithfully. And, I, and, and, and as a pastor, I hope we're all hearing this tonight. I know it's, it's a lot. And, and it maybe not have been as clear as I could have been. But, but as you leave here tonight, stick to the basics of what was just taught in chapter 1 in your own life. How do I feel about the law? Is the law a good thing because it's from God, but a horrible thing as it applies to myself, as I use it on myself? It should bring us to guilt, That's the idea. But I thank God for God's grace because of it. Then you understand the law lawfully. You've got it. You understand what it's for. If you think somehow that posting the Ten Commandments is going to help you keep the Ten Commandments, then you're using the law unlawfully. That's not what it's for. The Ten Commandments in our parks, in our courthouses, is to show us our guilt and to bring us to the place where we ask, what do we do about it? We need Jesus. That's lawfully using the law or teaching the law. Paul lawfully taught the law. Guard yourself against idle talk. Guard yourself against endless genealogies, disputes, things that bring up arguments in the church. You know the, you know the type. Honestly, none of, you, none of them are here. None of you are like that. There are some that are like that, though. And they go to our church. And they're not here tonight. <laughs> but they're here. 
And you'll spot them, and you'll feel it, and you'll know it, and you'll understand what Paul's writing about. Now, they're here. That's the good news. And we've stopped them from telling people things they shouldn't be telling them. And once in a while, we'll hear them start up that stuff again. And we're like, knock it off. You can come here, provided you stop doing that stuff. But you keep doing that stuff, and we're going to send you down the road like everyone else has sent you down the road. You gotta be care- you know, it's hard. It's hard to do, but you've got to do it. Guard yourself against that and spot it. It's okay to notice that. Well, maybe I'm just not very gracious with that person. Maybe I need to know you probably have a really good discernment because it makes you feel worse and burdened and heavy laden and you know that that's not where Christ is taking us. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is bringing us to freedom. He's bringing us to grace and to mercy and to love and to joy in all these places. And of course, we want to become better, but we're in that, in who he is. In this, verse 17 is the key. When Paul gets here, after talking about his sin and God's grace, he gets to verse 17 where he worships, and it's at that point, verse 17, that Paul is even a little bit more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants to do for each of us. We're being conformed into his image to where Pharisees hate you, but sinners love you because you bring grace, mercy, joy, and an answer to their greatest fear, and that is hell. And you hold it, and you know it. And that's where we close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul took the time to write to Timothy. Lord, I know that as I shared tonight, I couldn't get it out the way I know you wanted it to get out. And so I'm praying and trusting that between my mouth and their ears, somehow your Holy Spirit made it make sense. And it triggered things and it caused people to understand. Um, You are our teacher. You um, reveal secrets. You're the one that helps us unravel and understand mysteries. And you use this sword because it's alive um, and it's your sword. And so we trust that tonight. Lord, help us to understand grace, to understand mercy, to understand who we are, what you've done for us, and what this world needs to hear. Help us to be the kind of ministers in the ministry like you want us to be. We're called to this. We're equipped for this. You've counted us faithful. And we could tell you a thousand reasons why you shouldn't have, but you have, and you've prepared us for this. You've equipped us. So God, we thank you for that. Now, help us to rely on you like Paul relies on you. Help us to trust in you, to be filled with your spirit, to minister through grace, through mercy, through an understanding of the law properly, um, your love and your good news with those around us, Lord. It's such great news. It's so freeing. It's so beautiful. We want the rest of the world to know it. We know that they're heavy laden, that they're burdened down, that they're angry, that they're violent, that they're uh, doing drugs, that they're cut up on, hung up on addictions and all these things. We know that all that comes from Satan whispering in their ear, telling them of their guilt, telling them of their uselessness and their, and their worthlessness. But you didn't make them that way and you can fix it. And you have the solution and you have the answer. And God, we are the messengers. We've been given that mission to tell this gospel, to give this good news to this lost and dying world that is hopeless without you. 
Help us to always remember that that's our call. Whether we're in kids' ministry or whether we're ministering at work or at school, that there aren't the untouchables. That's what the Pharisees thought. There aren't those people that we want to steer clear of. That's what the Pharisees thought. You were the one that would sit and eat with tax collectors because you know that they needed you and what you had. Help us to be those kind of ministers that understand that we are the worst in the room, but we have the greatest answer and the greatest Savior for the rest that aren't nearly as bad as us. Help us to really own that and understand that because that's when we worship and that's when we're conformed into your image. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys need prayer before you go, we'd love to pray with you before you leave. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night. Hope you get lots of opportunities this week to minister.